So glad that you're with us. I'm going to have to pretend like I'm looking at this side of the room as well, but there's no one really on this side of the room, so for some reason this is the hot spot, but glad you guys are with us. Uh, this is uh, sermon number four for me today, uh, so save the best for last. Uh, excited about this evening, and uh, we're going to be in Luke 18, which Jess just read for us, and uh, let, me, let me also pray. Uh, let me pray some of the things that uh, I've been hearing all day long as I've been preaching and hearing how people have been processing this stuff, so... Uh, pray with me. God, thank you that you uh, love us. Thank you that you, um, you invite people who don't yet know who you are fully, but yet are willing to, to take a chance on you. Thank you that you are pursuing people. Thank you that we don't have to have arrived in a certain spiritual place before we can approach you, but rather we can come to you with all of our baggage, with all of our issues, with all of our brokenness, with all of our frustrations, with all of our, our envy, our jealousy, all these things that can uh, feel like they're overtaking our hearts. We can bring them to you and you're ready for us. So we thank you that you're a good God. Thank you um, that you speak to us and I pray that you would do that this evening. We love you and need you. Amen. Uh, online, I'm so glad that you were with us this evening. Hey guys, man, this side of the room is now filling up. Oh, this is going to be exciting. Uh, so great. Um, so we are in Luke 18, 9 to 4, 14. If you want to pull out your Bibles, phones, whatever, uh, we'll be there. And it's important that you have that in front of you if you can, because I'm going to be asking questions about this text specifically as we're going through. Um, so let me ask this question to, to begin. First, let me fix this mic because it's going to drive me nuts. All right. How many of you have ever looked down on other people? All right. We, I see that hand. I see those hands are going up everywhere. All right. Amazing. Everyone here is all messed up at home. You're probably great. But let me speak to us here because I'll put my hand up as well. Uh, we look down on people. That's a regular occurrence in our hearts and in our lives. And we have all kinds of cultural lessons about this. How many of you know the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? He's a reindeer that had a very shiny nose, and if you ever saw it, you would probably even say that it glows. Um, but the reality is, is that this story is trying to teach us a lesson. It's a cultural lesson, because what happens is that Rudolph is very different than the rest of the reindeer, isn't he? Yes, he is. And so the thing about Rudolph is that he had a red nose. Now, that was a detriment, because all the other reindeer were making fun of him. But on that foggy evening when Santa didn't know what to do because he'd never experienced cloud cover before in all of his Christmas excursions, uh, who did he go to at the last minute? Yell it out. Rudolph, yeah. This, this whole example is about Rudolph. So uh, Rudolph, and Rudolph with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Right? And so the whole idea is that as the reindeer and everyone were looking down on Rudolph, he ends up being the hero. So the cultural story is don't look down on people because they might end up being the hero. There's another story uh, you're maybe more familiar with, uh, The Incredibles. How many of you have seen the movie The Incredibles? Great. You're incredible for seeing it. It's amazing. So the first one, there's, there's this character called Incrediboy. Mr. Incredible is doing this rescue, and Incrediboy comes and tries to partner with him. And Mr. Incredible says, get out of here. Like, you're, you're this tiny kid. Get out of here. You can't help. Now, at the end of the movie, he ends up being the villain. This Incrediboy grows up into being, I think his name's Buddy Pine. I forget what his nemesis name is. But he tries to take out the entire Incredible family. And so the cultural moral story of this is don't look down on people because they might end up trying to destroy you and your family. 
So you, in our culture, we know these stories where bullying's not accepted in our culture. We're, we're told not to look down on people, but we do it anyway, don't we? We do it in subtle ways. We're, we're good at it. We're good at it. We, we don't just outright do it. We do it in very subtle ways. So let me ask this question. In what area or what areas do you find it easiest to look down on other people? In what areas do you find it easiest to look down on other people? You can shout out an answer if you have one. Intelligence. Yeah. If you are superior or inferior, right? You're, you're looking down potentially on someone else. What else? I remember in school we used to make fun of the smart kids because we were all dumb. And it's like, what, well, what else are you going to do? You have to make fun of them. So what other ways do we look down on people? Sports, yeah. Some are more gifted athletically and some are less gifted. What other is? Righteousness. Righteousness. That's a big word, Joel, introducing into this whole fiasco. Yeah, career maybe, money, uh, exercise, food. There's all these different ways that we end up looking down on people. And, And we have to ask ourselves why. Why do we do that? Well, Jesus knew that this went on and would keep going on in the hearts of people. That even when, when we try our hardest to shut that off, that's often when we struggle the most and see it, isn't it? When you try, no, I'm not, I'm not going to judge people today. I'm going to be really good. I'm not going to look down on other people. And that's oftentimes when you feel it the most and see it the most. So Jesus knows this tendency in our heart. It happened in his disciples. You can read through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And you'll see it all over the place. So what Jesus does is he tells a shocking story about faith. Now Jess read it for us. Probably none of us were like, whoa, I didn't see that coming at all. And the reason is because we're talking about Pharisees and tax collectors. How many of you talked about a Pharisee this week? Yeah, it's not a normal everyday conversation starter in our society. Uh, and tax collectors for us, because I get clergy status and we have uh, a lot of kids, like taxes are actually good for us. They work out. Right? I don't have anything against these tax collectors. So we don't, we don't talk about these regularly. So let me introduce you to this story. All right? And what we're going to do, just so you know online, we're going to do the front half of, of our gathering all together, take communion, and then we're going to send you off to talk about this um, on your own, at your house, with a friend, I don't know. Uh, and then we're going to process that here in person. But let me read for you uh, Luke 18, verse 9. And I would say, look at this with me if you have it. Luke 18, verse 9 says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. So who's the intended audience of this? Yell it out. Who's the intended audience for this parable? What is it? Yeah, that's who he uses, but look in verse 9. Who, who is the intended audience of this? Yeah, I mean, it's right here, right? Those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that they had a right standing with God, and that looked down on everyone else. What does it mean to look down on other people? If I tell you you look down on other people, what does that mean? Yep, less than. Maybe, maybe they're short. I've been looked down on my whole life, it feels like. Wasn't gifted with height. What does it mean to look down on people? 
you get to this place where you can actually despise people. And that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about here. That people were despising other people. Which means, I wish you weren't around. I wish you didn't exist. Sometimes we get it in our minds that if we could just remove someone from uh, our workplace, uh, from our neighborhood, from our family, uh, if we could just remove this person, then our lives would be so much better, so much easier. And in that sense, we're despising them. We're despising their existence. Do you know anyone like that? If we're really honest, we would say at times that that's where our hearts line up. So Jesus is saying there's some people that work out of that framework all the time. And then there are others that maybe are, are more like some of us. That at times we despise people. At times we wish that they weren't around. And so this story was meant to be like a wake up. Wake up. Because your heart might be out of line with God's heart for his kingdom. So let me introduce you to the characters in, in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisees and tax collectors were not buddies. They did not hang out. You would never find them chilling in the same place. They were not visiting a pub. They were not playing poker. They, they were definitely not playing poker. Um, they were not doing things together. And we don't understand that. And so we need to actually put this into um, a way that we understand this parable. So we will in just a second. But who are the Pharisees? What do you know about the Pharisees? Help me out here. What do you know about the Pharisees? They know the law very well. They know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They know the Torah very, very well. There were 613 laws within the Torah. And they knew them all. They memorized them. Very clear. What else? What else about the Pharisees? They knew their Bible, they loved their Bible, they were teachers of the Bible. They were the most influential group in all of Israel. They were the most well-known group in all of Israel. And um, they appeared, if you would have seen them, they would appear to be the most godly people around. You would not think poorly of these men. They, they were legit, right? You would think very, very highly of them. So what we have to ask if this parable is going to be powerful for us, who is today's Pharisee? Who would be a Pharisee today? Throw out some, some people groups. Okay, actors maybe, yeah? Politicians? Way not to name drop. People are name dropping in the South Shore. I'm like, no, no, no. Maybe a pastor? Religious leader? Think, think uh, like Billy Graham? Mother Teresa, right? These are people that were, were, were well looked upon. They appear very godly, and I'm not saying that they're not. But they appear this way. They have this strength to their presence. And so when we think about this, it's like there, there's a pastor who went up to pray. Now you have expectations of what a pastor is going to be like. So now let's talk about the tax collector. What do you know about tax collectors? Were tax collectors liked or not liked? Not liked. Good job. They were not liked. Why were they not liked? Yeah. Like they had a, they were, they were like sellouts. 
So Rome, they were employees of Rome. They were Israelites who said, I'm going to give up on my people and I'm going to work for Rome. And Rome maybe said, uh, charge this much for a tax. But what they could do is they could charge any amount that they wanted. And they got to bring home all of the profits with them. So essentially they were extorting their own people for their personal gain. So when we think about a tax collector, we need to think about someone who is wealthy, powerful, and very unliked. Wealthy, powerful, very unliked. And you lived in the neighborhood. So who would be a modern day tax collector? <laughs> Are they wealthy and powerful? Very wealthy, okay, yeah. If they're skimming off the top, for sure. Isn't parking free right now, though? I'm pretty sure. I went in faith parking this evening, so. Who would, who would be a, a modern-day tax collector? Here's what I think. Modern-day tax collector is the person in your neighborhood that has a garage and is cooking up crystal meth and dealing it in your neighborhood. Right? These are people that are, hopefully there's no one in your neighborhood doing that. But there's a good chance somewhere there is. All right? Just so you know. No, but that reality that there's someone that's making a lot of money off the people in the neighborhood. They're causing pain in families. They're causing people to die. And they're making a lot of money off of it. They're wealthy, powerful, and very unlike. So the power in this parable is that there's a pastor and a drug dealer that go up to the temple together. Right? It's these type of personas that they're not going to hang out. You wouldn't typically think that these guys are best buddies. And so listen to what the prayer of the Pharisee is, this pastor-type figure. In Luke 18, 11, and 12. Now the Pharisee was standing and praying like this. Now when, when they prayed, they wouldn't pray with their, their hands folded and eyes bowed. They would pray like this. Hands open wide, eyes fixed on the heavens, and praying often out loud so everyone could hear them. This is how the Pharisees rolled. And here's what he prays. He was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. You want to know a good way to ruin your holiday party? Be asked to say a prayer for the meal and pray like this. God, thank you that I am unlike all the people around this table. Right? Make sure you keep your eyes focused high because if you make eye contact, someone's going to kill you with their eye contact, right? Thanks, I am not like them. What does that show? If you're praying like that, thank you that I'm unlike all the people in this room. What does that show about me? The what? Yeah, <laughs> you have no friends, that's right. Don't make friends easily. What else? What does it show about, about the person who prays like this? Yeah, you're the standard, right? You are the straight line that everyone is supposed to measure according to. That you are the best. You're the one that everything revolves around. Everyone else is a problem to this Pharisee, aren't they? Thank you that I'm not like other people. And did you read that? All other people. He is like in a bubble all by himself. He is in a complete league all on his own. That no one can be like him. 
And he can't see his own problems. Why? Because he's so focused on everyone else. This, this lady does this, and this guy does this, and this guy does this, and this person's asleep, and like these people don't tithe, and these people fast, and these people collect. Like, that's, that's how they do life. Constantly looking out at what's wrong with everyone else, not being able to look in and what's going on inside of them. You see, the Pharisees were obsessed with cosmetics. Um, I've never put on makeup before. I'm, I'm pretty sure, unless I was asleep and someone did it to me on accident. But never put on makeup before. I don't know anything about makeup at all. But I know that makeup is supposed to be put on to cover something up. And you might be very beautiful or handsome. I'm just going to throw it out there that maybe you were, I don't, I don't know. You do, what, you do you, right? It's the era we live in. But um, you, you put on makeup to cover something up. So that people aren't seeing the real you. And it's not bad. But that's how the Pharisees lived their entire life. It was a very cosmetic thing. They wanted to make sure that they looked good on the outside. And they wanted to make sure that everyone else saw how beautiful their lives really were. And they even did godly things, didn't they? They were tithing, which means that they were giving 10% of everything, including the seeds that they, that they had. Imagine you cut into a green pepper and... You scrape out all the seeds, and then you take a tenth of all the seeds, and you're like, yep, got to bring this to Church 21 tonight. Put that in a little box, right? That's how they lived their life. Everything was like this. That's not bad. They were giving. They were praying. They were fasting. They were doing godly things. But here's the problem, and pay attention to this. Here's the problem. They thought that they were doing these things to make themselves right with God. They weren't doing this because of the relationship they already had with God. They were doing it to have a certain relationship with him. They thought that these things made them right with God. And in the end, they're only doing this for themselves. Can you imagine doing that? Read the Bible every day, pray every day, fast, give, come here on a Sunday night, 6 p.m. You could go to all the different gatherings all day long. And why do you do all that? Well, you could do it to enjoy God, or you can do it so at night you can be like, I'm a very good person. I am better than everyone else around me. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. You see, it's possible to do very good things and not be part of God's family. Let me give you an example. Uh, this is my last sermon, fourth time today. Uh, let's say that you stick around for the men's event after, and then at the end of that, you come home with me. I don't know if my wife will be happy you're coming home with me at that point, but nonetheless, you come home with me. And we arrive, and we have a list of chores that we need to do. And you start doing some of these lists of chores just like my kids do chores. And you say, oh, I'm hungry. And I say, hey, you can go to the cupboard. There's snacks there. You get that. And you're like, I'm really tired. Well, we have a guest room, and you could actually take a nap or stay the night, whatever, in our guest room. And you wake up the next morning. So tomorrow morning, we get up nice and early, and you say, good morning, Dad. Now I would say, this is where it gets really awkward, because <laughs> I'm not your dad. Just because you did chores and ate my snacks and slept in our guest room does not make you my child. And yet this is how the Pharisees were living. That if I just do the things that God wants me to do, and if I do enough of them, then he'll be pleased with me, and I can be part of his family and part of his kingdom. And here's one of the hard parts about a Pharisee. If, if this is you, you probably don't see it. 
Because as we're talking about this stuff in your mind, you're just circling around all the people that you're better than. And that keeps you from actually addressing some of the issues that are going on in your heart. And if we're honest, there's a part of this that's true about all of us. Right? I don't think that there's just the Pharisee part and the tax collector part. There are moments where, where we're Pharisees. But let me keep going. The tax collector, in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his... I've been hitting my chest all day long. I need to stop doing this. It really hurts. I'm probably bruised. Um, wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is humiliating. This is humiliating. He wouldn't get closer to the temple because it's like he couldn't even bear like going into the temple. I, I don't deserve this. I shouldn't be in here. Uh, I really enjoy The Office, the TV show, American version. Some of you are purists and watch the UK version. I don't think it's good. Anyway, uh, the American version, and Toby's this character, and he runs HR, and there's this scene where they're going into a church building for something, and he walks up to go into the church building, and then it's like he recounts something, and you don't fully get to know what's going on inside of his head, but clearly, he's had some history with the church, and so he's about to go in, and then he starts talking to himself or to God, and like decides he's not going in, and he turns around and walks back out, and then he comes back again, and he tries to go in again, and he's like, no, I'm not ready for this yet, and just walks away. Something to Toby was so powerful about entering into that building, entering into the presence of the one that that building was for and about, that he couldn't go into that. There was shame. This is what's going on in the tax collector. That as he's going in, he's like, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't get too close. I'm not good enough to be on in the inner circle he wouldn't raise his eyes. There was nothing to celebrate or show. He kept beating his chest. Why do you think he's beating his chest? A lot of the commentators think that it's because there was an internal anguish that was going on. Sometimes things hurt so bad on the inside and you can't get released that people will self-harm. Because there, there's some sort of release of something that's going on. And so he's, he's beating himself over this and it carries with it the idea of mourning and sadness and remorse and shame but some of the commentators are saying it's because he's recognizing that there's real evil going on in his heart and he doesn't want it there anymore he doesn't want it to be a part of who he is and here's his prayer sometimes we think we have to say the right words to God but God understands your heart and what's going on inside of you here's the prayer me sinner me, sinner. So simple. What he's saying is, I'm not like you, God. I'm not like you. You're the standard, and I'm not. I'm way off. When we approach God, this is how God actually wants us to come to him. Not beating ourselves, but that idea of, God, I, you are holy, I am not. I need you, you don't need me. You are sufficient, I'm not. You have no need, I have lots of need. That we come to him needy. God welcomes us in that. He's not saying, I'm waiting for you to bring your stuff, Aditya. Come on, man, get on the ball. He's like, Aditya, I've been waiting for you. I'm ready to give you mercy. 
I'm, I'm ready to pour out my blessings on, on you because I have what you need. And so the prayer is so simple and so beautiful. Me, sinner, I am a sinner. And I need mercy. I need mercy. Now, some of you are first language French. What's a French word for mercy? Misericorde, right? So it's, it's this idea, right? It's this idea of, of a well. Let me give you this picture. A, an an old-time well where people would have to like put buckets way down in and get water and like bring them up. Imagine that somehow you got tossed in there. And you're sitting at the bottom of this well. And there is no chance that you can pull yourself out. You've been trying for days to rescue yourself and pull yourself out. Yelling, screaming, no one's coming. And as you're sitting there preparing mentally that this is it. I can't claw my way up anymore. No one's coming. You're sitting there and all of a sudden something hits you in the head. And you look up and it's a rope. And there's someone standing at the top yelling your name. Malachi. Malachi, the Italian prophet, right? Nathan, Evan, right? Calling your name, saying, take this rope. You are being rescued. We have everything you need. And you put the rope around you, and this person pulls you up. This is what God is giving to the tax collector. He came with nothing. I'm a sinner. I'm not like you. I don't deserve anything. I'm not like the Pharisees. I'm not godly. I'm nothing. And God gives him that rope. There's a shocking outcome in verse 14. Remember, pastor, drug dealer, go into the temple together. I tell you, this one, the drug dealer, the tax collector, this one went down to his house made right with God rather than the pastor, rather than the Pharisee. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who hum humbles himself will be exalted. The pastor, the Pharisee, rejected. Drug dealer, tax collector, welcomed in. I mean, this doesn't happen in our culture. That drug dealer owes our neighborhood. He's ruined the lives of so many people. Justice needs to come. Yes, it does. But here's where the good news of what we believe comes in. The good news is that Jesus actually steps in to pay for the tax collector. Jesus steps in to pay for the drug dealer. All the things that he's done wrong in his life, Jesus comes and lives a perfect life on his behalf. Goes to the cross and says, all of the hurt that you've caused to yourself, to me, and to others, I'm going to bring that on to myself on the cross. And do you know what I'm going to give to you? I'm going to give you a place in my family. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you a seat at my table. I'm going to bring you in to the, to the holy of holies. And not only are you going to stand at the outskirts of my temple, I'm going to make you a temple. I'm going to give my spirit and I'm going to pour it out all over you and in you so that you become a temple moving around, declaring and showing the excellencies of Jesus. This is the good news that we believe. There's only two kinds of religions in this world. The, the, the ones of human works, where we say, Ryan, if you can do enough good deeds and not do these bad deeds, then you can get in. And so Ryan at night is like, did I do enough good things? Did I not do the bad things? Oh God, 
he, she, whomever, I hope that you let me into whatever's out there. That's every religion. But then you have this other side, which is this divine work, this godly work, where he says, you can't do that list. That list is too hard. I know. I know what this list is. I gave it to you. You can't satisfy this, but that's okay. I'm going to satisfy it for you. I'm going to be perfect in all these. And if you want in, here, I'll give it to you. And Jesus resurrected from the dead so that he could be the one himself that throws the rope down into that well. So that he could be the one himself that pours out his spirit onto you and in you and work through you. You see, here's, here's the point of the parable. If you try and come to God with all the things that you've done, your little table of good works, like, look at all the things I did. God is going to say, yeah, but this is all for you. It was all for you. It was all for you to try and earn your way. It was all for you to try and show me how worthy you are. But if you come to God with your empty hands and say, I have nothing to bring with you. I have dump trucks of my sin. They're just going to keep rolling in like... You know, we're, we're close where we start filling up those massive tractor-trailer trucks with snow. I love the way the city does that, by the way. I, like, stay up super late at night and just watch them put snow all in the back of these tractor-trailer trucks. But sometimes that's how I feel about, like, my rebellion. I just have these tractor-trailer trucks of my rebellion. And the Lord is like, no, just keep it coming. Keep it coming. I, I paid for all of these truckloads as well. And I want to give you my righteousness for you to wear. We don't, hear this, right? We're wrapping up. We don't need to clean ourselves up before we come to God. It would be silly if, Michelle, if you said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a shower. But before I take a shower, I'm going to clean myself up real quick. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, you're going to go get clean, right? And yet that's sometimes what we do with God. Oh, I need to make myself pretty before I go into the presence of God. I remember going to Bible school, and uh, I, I was a brand new Christian at this Bible school where you had to wear a tie and suit all the time. I hate ties, hate suits still. Um, I'll only wear them for wedding funerals, Easter's, and to surprise people once in a while. But uh, I said to one of the students, I'm like, isn't it so lame that we have to wear like a suit to, to church service on Sunday? And he's like, well, what else do we wear? I'm like, I don't, like a t-shirt, shorts, like anything else that's appropriate. And he's like, well, when you come into the presence before God, like, w- what do you wear? I'm like, I pray most of the time in my shower. I'm like, I'm not wearing a suit in my shower, right? Like, I'm in the presence of God there. That we don't need to dress up and play a part. God expects us to come with our issues, our baggage, our, our stuff that isn't right, and to bring it to him. And he's like, I'm so glad you brought this to me. I want to change you more to, to look more and more like my son, Jesus. I want to do that because you can't do that in and of yourself. So here's the good news. When your heart is out of line, when you find that Pharisee there inside of you, looking down on others, judging others, you can bring that to God. And he's like, oh, perfect. I've been waiting for this. I want to help change this part of your life in your heart as well. I want to give you mercy in this area and I want to reshape you. And don't stop coming to him. Don't ever feel like, ah, I've arrived. I've made it. You won't make it until you see Jesus face to face, eye to eye. That's when you're done. Until then, we have to keep putting to death these things. But I want to say this in closing. And this is really good news. 
I don't, I don't know what's going on inside your hearts here. I don't know what's going on inside your hearts as you're watching at home. But this has been impressed upon me all day long. So I want to say it to us as well. That God, and, and listen up, right? God is not embarrassed by you. God is not embarrassed to call you his son or daughter. So many things that people around us could do that could embarrass us. Sometimes I, my kids would do something that could embarrass me. One day I'll do things that embarrass them. It's coming, right? I know that. I can't wait to embarrass them. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so good. I can't wait, guys. You're all here. Look me in the eyes. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Um, but the reality is, is that God is not embarrassed by you. You're like, oh, I'm still struggling with all these things. I still do these things. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Like, oh, I'm a mess. And God is saying, oh, I'm so glad that you're here, my son, my daughter. I love you. I love you. I'm not embarrassed by you. I'm not embarrassed to call you my son or my daughter. And that's good news, isn't it? When we can come to him like that, knowing that he wants us there. And that he wants to keep working in our hearts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. Pray for us. And then we're going to get to respond together. And so let me do that. God, thank you that you are a good God that is not far and distant, but you are here. You're with us. And, and you're at, in the homes of the people who are watching as well. I pray that that idea, that you are not embarrassed by us, would wash over us. That we can come to you like tax collectors, saying, I, I am not like you, but I, I want you and I need you. And that you would be pleased to have us there. I pray that you would help us to, to work away from looking down on others for whatever reason we do. That we would be looking toward others as made in your image that you love them, that you care for them, that you died for them, and that would, we would be your temples moving, full of your spirit, giving good news to people in this city. Would you help us to respond? Spirit, if you don't work, none of this is going to land. If you don't work, we can't be built up. If you don't work, we can't be changed. So we're asking that you would be working in us during this response time. So we love you and we need you. For everything. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to move into um, a time of response. Uh, the first thing is that uh, God has given us everything. Everything you own, everything you're wearing, everything you're not wearing, everything is, is His. And He has been so generous to you. And so if you're part of Church 21, uh, the reality is that we get to give. We get to be a part of that. And we get to give so that the mission really goes out. Like I visited uh, three locations today, four services. It's exciting what Jesus is doing in our, in our city. Really exciting. And so we get to be a part of, of that. So there's a, um, I think there are envelopes over there on that table if you're here. Um, and you can put anything in there. Uh, and then church21.ca slash give. I wish we could sing. I can't wait till we can sing again. That'll be great. But we're going to be sung over. Um, the next way we're, gonna, we're going to respond is through communion. Uh, and so we have, where is that stuff? Over there on that table? So it's over there on this table. As Ryan is playing uh, over us, singing over us, you can go and you can grab one of those uh, cups and take that back to your seat. We'll take that together. And just before I send out uh, the, the online gathering, let me throw up the questions that we're going to be looking at this evening. With what posture do you usually come before God? Do you come like the Pharisee or do you come like the tax collector? 
Second, in what ways do you compare your life to others? Third, how have you seen your heart becoming more like the tax collector? And four, why is Jesus attracted to the broken? And so at home, you can be processing through uh, these questions. Let me do this as well. You're really being sent out, right? You're not just turning off the broadcast. Uh, You're being sent out into the things that you're doing uh, throughout this week as people who are full of the Spirit of God. And if you don't yet know Jesus, you can respond to him now saying, Jesus, I need you to do that work of forgiveness in my life. I want in, and he will. He'll bring you into his family. So we're going to turn off the broadcast in just a minute, uh, but I hope that you have a great night, and I'm praying that the Spirit would be ministering to you.